Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind. This is episode 24 being brought to you today by DraftKings Sportsbook. Of course, the NCAA tournament is in full swing, and the action certainly has not disappointed. DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app, and they're putting new customers in the middle of the action. All you have to do is bet $1 on any tournament game, and if your team wins, you win $100. Just that simple. Turning $1 into $100, 100 to 1 odds. Pick any college basketball team still in the hunt for your shot at winning $100. All it takes is a $1 bet and your team winning the next game. No better way to put your college basketball knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TBPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 if the college basketball team of your choosing pulls off the win. That's code TBPN to turn $1 into $100 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. And our thanks to DraftKings Sportsbook for their support of the Basketball Podcast Network and the Grizz Weekly Grind. Big, big, big show for you. Trade de- deadline has passed and Grizzlies did not do anything. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about some of the uh, some of the other moves and some of the other teams that have benefited in the wake of the uh, trade frenzy, which was uh, a record-setting frenzy. So we'll get to that was the week that was, PD's points. We'll talk about what the Grizzlies did or did not do, as the case may be, with the trade deadline. Touch on what some other teams have done. Open up the mailbag. Got a couple of uh, questions asked of me on Twitter, so we will open up the mailbag and we'll do that. And then... Part two of our conversation with Mark J. Spears of The Undefeated. Um, he has a really, really cool story. For those of you who are big fans of Brandon Clark, and I happen to be a big Brandon Clark fan, so does Revan Knight for that matter. Um, Brandon Clark's just like one of the one of the great, great guys that you would ever want to be around and was the steal of the draft for the Grizzlies last year and uh, continues to play well again this year. But Mark Spears actually has a history with Brandon Clark, and it's uh, it's an interesting story, and Mark Spears will talk about his uh, background with Brandon Clark of the Memphis Grizzlies, and also in this conversation, we'll touch on the issue of race and sports, and Mark's participation in the MLK celebration in Memphis. This year, it was done virtually, so we've got all that coming up on this edition of the Grizz Weekly Grind. So, plenty to get to, so without further ado, that was the week that was. The Grizzlies come off the big win over the Miami Heat. They go on the road, and the first stop is Oklahoma City on Wednesday, March 24th. Grizzlies trying to take the season series from the Thunder. Home team had won each of the first two meetings. Grizzlies got off to a decent start, 26-21 in the first quarter. Second quarter, things did not go very well. And again, the Grizzlies found themselves with a halftime deficit. But in the third quarter, That's when the Grizzlies really started to turn things around in this basketball game. And the Grizzlies, after a very forgettable start to the uh, third quarter of this basketball game, uh, finally found their footing and uh, outscored the Thunder 33-20 in the third quarter, went on to win at 116-107. The Grizzlies had been gashed by Oklahoma City's three-point shooting in the prior meeting, but the Thunder limited to just 10 makes on 35 tries for 29%. Grizzlies made 11 Uh, Grizzlies also dominant on the glass 
with a 56-44 to edge. Al Horford, for the first time, played in a game against the Grizzlies. Good first half, very limited contribution in the second half. This is an Oklahoma City team that is headed for the lottery. Uh, they're starting a lot of young guys, guys that have G League experience, which is not to cast dispersions on the G League, but we're not talking uh, about an Oklahoma City team that has a ton of lottery picks. But they do have some very good young players. I was very impressed in the last couple of games with Moses Brown, and the last game against the Grizzlies went for 19-12, and 12, rebounding machine, and uh, has played very, very well for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Alexei Pokashevsky, of course, had the double-double in the first meeting, shot lights out from three. He was held to just 13 points. Grizzlies got 25 from Dylan Brooks, who continues to be very aggressive offensively, got to the free-throw line nine times in that game. Grayson Allen, really prospering now that he is part of the starting lineup. 20 points for Grayson, made four four of nine from three in that game. And the Grizzlies go for 70 in the paint, outscoring the Thunder 70 to 58 in the painted area. Grizzlies also got 20 points in transition. Grizzlies come from 12 down against Oklahoma City to get the win tied for the largest rally for the Grizzlies this season. They also came from 12 down on the road at Minnesota. So then the Grizzlies... Go on to Salt Lake City and uh, a back-to-back set with the league-leading Utah Jazz. Jazz lost their first two home games, and then they ran off 17 straight wins. Well, by the time uh, the weekend was over, the winning streak had continued uh, for the Utah Jazz. Uh, on Friday night, you know Utah gets off to a big lead, and it's a 14-point lead after one quarter, 16-point lead at intermission, and the Grizzlies, again, it took until the third quarter for them to to find their way offensively. John Morant finishes with a fantastic game, 32 points and 11 assists to just one turnover. Grizzlies uh, had a held ball situation with just a little less than two seconds remaining, down three points, but uh, did not win the jump ball, and, and Utah goes on to win. Um, this was a game, again, the Grizzlies from 21 down, they played Utah about as evenly as you could possibly play them, statistically speaking. Both teams with seven turnovers. The issue here is the Grizzlies lost 10 points. Utah lost just four. Both teams, how even was this game? The Grizzlies shoot 44 of 97. The Jazz shoot 45 of 98. Grizzlies shoot 12 of 30 from three. Jazz shoot 12 of 33 from three. Both teams shot 18 free throws, and Utah made exactly one more. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, all-star, professional score, whatever you want to call him, solid all-around game for him, 35 with six assists and five rebounds in the game, and and he was fantastic, made five of seven from three. Mike Conley, by the way, struggled just two of 13 from the floor, five points, did have eight assists and also three turnovers. But the Grizzlies fall to 21-21. and with the loss at Utah, 117-114. to 114. So the Grizzlies served notice to the Utah Jazz, like, look, we're, we're not going to be pushovers. We're going to come and we're going to we're going to play hard and we're going to push you to your limits. Um, the Utah Jazz got the message because they came back then on Saturday night and and this was, just, uh, this was just a trip to the woodshed as far as the Grizzlies were concerned. Grizzlies got off to an 8-2 lead after that. That was pretty much the highlight of the night other than the um, – Lob dunk to John Morant in the second half. But Utah led it 39-19 after one quarter. Donovan Mitchell just blistering again. Back-to-back 35-point games for Donovan Mitchell. Threw in seven assists in this one. Made five of seven from three. Joe Ingles into the starting lineup in this game. Mike Conley was out resting his hamstring on the second of a back-to-back. Ingles went for 15. 
Um, hit three of five from distance. He broke out of his shooting slump. Another guy who broke out of his shooting slump was Jordan Clarkson, 28 points and five of 12 from three, and also had four assists in the basketball game. Leading scorer off the bench in the NBA, averaging a little more than 17 a game. Clarkson was a huge factor for the Utah Jazz, and the Jazz leading at one point by as many as 30, go on to win at 126 to 110. Um, You know, the Grizzlies didn't shoot it real well. I mean, you shoot 40%, you're not going to beat anybody, and the Utah Jazz shoot 50%, and they're unbeaten when they shoot 50% from the floor. Um, Another double-double for Jonas Valanciunas, no surprise there, but the real storyline in this game was the fact that Quinn Snyder and his staff of the Utah Jazz they made the defensive adjustments, and they were bound and determined to make sure that John Morant did not beat them in this game. And they held John to just 12 points, four assists with three turnovers on four of 12 shooting. So it was a real outstanding def- defensive effort by the Utah Jazz. Very impressed with Utah Jazz. I mean, they can score at all three levels. They're among the league leaders scoring off drives, catch and shoot, pull up. Uh, you know, the one thing that probably causes me a, a bit of pause when I think about them as a championship contender is is the fact that uh, they are so perimeter-oriented. Now, they do have Gobert, and they're a decent paint team, but really where their bread is buttered right now is with the three-point shot. Will the three-point shot fall late in the season uh, as, as the games and the miles start to pile up? That would be the question that I would have. For the Utah Jazz, they're very, very impressive. What they do have, they do have an elite-level defense, and it's not a defense that is predicated on getting a ton of deflections or a ton of steals or forced turnovers. That that That's not it. But they do play on a string. They are very aggressive defensively, and uh, they just do an outstanding job. Quinn Snyder should be congratulated. Of course, he was the all-star coach as uh, the Utah Jazz leading the Western Conference. So uh, Grizzlies... In the last three games, go one and two. They have one more game coming up on the homestand, and that will be Monday night when they go to the Houston Rockets. And the Houston Rockets, uh, well, <laughs> they're uh, they're not headed for anywhere again but the lottery in the bottom of the Southwest Division. And we'll more about that when we get to Petey's points. But first... If you have been listening to the show, hopefully you enjoy it. Please do leave us a rating and also any comments that you may have for the show. From the Grizz Weekly Grind, proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. We appreciate you uh, leaving some information as far as uh, your feedback, which will help us guide, will help guide us, I should say, as to the, uh, the future of the program and the content. The Grizz Weekly Grind today is being brought to you by the Hoop City Basketball Club. Since 2005, their mission has been to assist young student-athletes in grades 1 through 12 in developing a strong work ethic with discipline, responsibility, and accountability. Hoop City has helped young men be great on the court and in the community. Their alumni include major college and NBA players. Now, if you'd like some more information on how to become part of this great sports and character-building club, all you have to do is log on to HoopCityBC.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at HoopCityBC. As they say, it's in our blood. It's who we are in Hoop City, and we thank them for their continued support. And now, on to Petey's points. Well, number one, obviously, with the trade deadline, were the Memphis Grizzlies going to do anything? And if there was anything that they were going to do, it probably would have focused on Gorgie Jang. Could the Grizzlies get a deal for Gorgie Jang? That proved not to be in the cards for the Grizzlies. I think another reason that the Grizzlies weren't trying to really shake things up is uh, concurrent with the trade deadline was 
the revelation that Jaron Jackson Jr. will not be back until the month of April and probably later in the month of April. So given that the season's going to end in mid-May, I mean, he's only going to have two, maybe three weeks that he's going to be able to play with his basketball team. And, and you know, if you're Zach Kleiman, do you really want to start shuffling the deck when you don't know what you have when you plug Jaron Jackson Jr. into this particular roster? And so uh, there were no, as, as Zach Kleiman said, there were no actionable deals that were presented to them. Don't know how aggressive the Grizzlies were. Uh, obviously, they wanted to get Gorgie Jang, I think, to uh, a playoff-type situation. He was not in the mix here in Memphis. Xavier Tillman is going to be uh, the big man of the future, at least as, as far as the Grizzlies look at it, along with Jaron Jackson Jr. There was not a future for Gorgie. Hadn't played in uh, probably 10 or 11 games and uh, was a total pro about it. But the Grizzlies, of course, ended up buying him out. And uh, we'll see where Gorgie Jang ultimately lands. It appears that he is going to be going to San Antonio uh, because the buyout market continues to spin around, which brings us to our second PD's point, which is the buyout market. And uh, it looks like Gorgie Jang is going to go to the San Antonio Spurs. LaMarcus Aldridge, uh, the Spurs were very public that uh, there was no role for LaMarcus Aldridge in their future. And so he is going to go to the Brooklyn Nets. That is the report as of the time of this recording. That's a it's a good pickup for the Brooklyn Nets because you can never have enough perimeter shooting and when you have a perimeter big who can who can make shots all the way up to the three point line I think it is going to be helpful. This is a, a Brooklyn team that is absolutely loaded right now. One of the things about Aldridge's career, despite the fact that he has been an All Star, is that he has never been uh, the, he has never embraced. I don't think the role of being the prime scorer. And certainly in Brooklyn right now, he does not need to do that. Uh, James Harden is doing a great job distributing the basketball. I'm sure he'll be thrilled to distribute to LaMarcus Aldridge for a mid-range jump shot. But LaMarcus Aldridge doesn't have to shoulder the burden. He doesn't have to carry the load uh, as he did in Portland and at times that he did for the San Antonio Spurs. So, uh, you know, and then he joins a a team that now has Blake Griffin part of it as well. So, uh, Brooklyn, uh, you know, pushing their chips all the way into the center of the table as uh, as they look to possibly get an NBA championship. Latest report, the current NBA champions, the Los Angeles Lakers, going to sign Andre Drummond. Given the fact that you don't know what's going to happen with Anthony Davis and how healthy he's going to be and how long his health is going to hold out, because Davis does have a, have a history of, of nagging injuries, Drummond is no Anthony Davis, obviously. Um, decent defender, elite-level rebounder, but he's not the shot blocker and certainly not the scorer that Anthony Davis is. So he can give them rebounding and, uh, and a presence on the glass. But as far as scoring and really defending at the front of the rim, Andre Drummond is not going to be able to give the Lakers that, which they typically would get from Anthony Davis. So that's the buyout market. Moving on to the next PD's point, trade deadline. Uh, remarkable number of trades. We could talk about this all day. The things that jump out to me. Uh, Chicago going all in. Arturis Karnishevis, uh, their new head of basketball operations, goes out and uh, and they get Nick Vucevic from the Orlando Magic. The flip side of that is Orlando is tearing it down to the studs right now. Uh, Evan Fournier goes to Boston. Uh, Vucevic goes to Chicago. And Aaron Gordon goes to Denver. And Orlando understanding that, look, if we keep this team together, maybe we make the bottom end of the playoff bracket in the East and we lose in the first round and are we really making any progress. 
And so the decision was made. And I, I think this is a really admirable decision by the Orlando Magic. Sometimes you got to look in the mirror and say, you know what, we're not really that good. And we don't want to be in that NBA purgatory where you are an eighth seed and you're playing the top seed in the East and you're just getting your brains beat in. And, um, you know, that, that's your consolation prize for the season. They're looking at the future. They realize they had a ton of assets. So they move those assets and uh, Orlando potentially could be set up for a very, very good future, a longer-term future. Short-term future wasn't terribly bright, but uh, really like what Chicago did with uh, Arturis Karnishevis making the deals that he did uh, for that basketball team. So Chicago really going all in. Um, I don't know that anybody realized that they would be in the midst of the playoff conversation at this point in the season. Billy Donovan has done an outstanding job with the Chicago Bulls and Karnishevis. We'll see how this deal pans out, but I've always been a big Nick Vucevic fan. He's he's always been a double-double machine, gifted big man, able to hit the three-point shot and, and work in the post as well. So really good pickup for the Chicago Bulls there. So uh, that's just kind of the thumbnail edition off the top of my head a version of, uh, of the NBA trade deadline, and uh, we'll see how it all plays out. But uh, Chicago, they're going all in. Um, you know, the Nets signing Aldridge, you know, that's uh, an, another move that they certainly see their championship window open. And I think Denver getting Aaron Gordon is, is going to be a real nice pickup for them as well. It's another dangerous score, another high-energy guy, uh, another target for uh, Nikola Jokic to find for open jumpers. So teams did, uh, did definitely help themselves. And uh, as I said, the Grizzlies Stood pat. They like their roster. A lot of young guys, um, you know, maybe not enough in assets really in order to bring a, a top flight player in. And maybe the Grizzlies just like their chemistry and wanted to see how it would work when Jaron Jackson Jr. gets back to the lineup sometime in later May. And that does it for this edition of PD's Points. Well, let's open up the mailbag, shall we? Haven't taken questions in a while. Uh, one question that I got Speaking of buyout markets and trade deadline and things of that nature, what about the Grizzlies open roster spot? You don't have to do, you don't have to do anything with it. That's the answer. You don't have to do anything with it. Now, if there's somebody that you would want to add and, uh, you know, it would be dependent upon the salary that you'd have to pay out and, and, and the Grizzlies cap situation and luxury tax situation, which they're, they're below the tax line and are not going to want to go above the tax line, certainly. You just can leave it open. I mean, right now, you've got everybody healthy with the exception of Jaron Jackson Jr. You don't have a G League operating right now because they're done with their bubble uh, season down in Orlando. So you don't have anywhere else to put players to develop them. So, uh, you know, guys like Sean McDermott and, and Killian Tilly and, and John Conchar and John Tay Porter, they're with the Grizzlies right now. And, and they got some minutes in the blowout loss at Utah on Saturday night. So, uh to add another body to the mix, unless there's somebody that you really, really think that is going to be great for you in the future, I don't know that there's any need to to fill the roster spot because right now you have almost too many healthy bodies and uh, creating a situation where you know you got rid of Gorgie Jane because there were no minutes for him. So I don't know that I don't know that the Grizzlies go ahead and fill that roster spot unless, like I said, there is somebody that they really, really like and they want to make sure that they uh, call dibs on that player rather than having that player go to another team. The other question I got, and this is, this is a good question, um, you know, why does the Grizzlies coaching staff have the center in pick and roll coverage? drop so close to the basket rather than coming out maybe to the free throw line or a little higher in pick and roll coverage. That is a tactical decision. 
made by Taylor Jenkins and the staff. It's called center field pick and roll coverage. Um, I don't have an exact reason as to why they have chosen that other than to speculate. So it's worth, uh, it's worth what you paid for it, which is nothing. It's free speculation would be that Valanchunas maybe not being as mobile as some big men. Do you want him guarding the pick and roll out by the free throw line where then he's got to recover back to the restricted area? That might be part of it. The other theory and other explanation is you want to take away shots at the paint because they are a higher percentage shot. Three-point shot obviously gives you more in terms of yield, but it's a lower percentage shot. So if teams want to cast away from three, okay, we're going to, we're going to pack the paint. We're going to take the paint away from you. That might be another reason why you would go with a center field pick and roll coverage as opposed to something where the center might be a little higher. So, uh, you know, coaches have different philosophies. Some coaches are going to play center field pick and roll coverage. Others are going to play a different coverage. And this is where the Grizzlies are right now. And this is this is what they're sticking with. This is their defensive identity. And, uh, and they're going to stick with it. So... Uh, appreciate all the questions from the mailbag. Again, my Twitter handle is at Pete Pranica, pretty simple. So if you have any questions, comments, anything, uh, feel free to hit me up in the DMs or, or just flat out tweet it to me. And if you've got a question, we will uh, go ahead and answer it in the next mailbag segment, whenever that may be. And that brings us to today's friend of the program, Mark Spears, longtime NBA writer, great guy. And I like him for a lot of reasons, not the least of which he is also an Arsenal fan. We didn't get a chance to talk about uh, the premiership or soccer and how he got involved in, in being an Arsenal supporter. But in any event, uh, you could talk for hours with Mark Spears. Uh, great guy, great interview, great conversationalist. And in part two of our conversation, part one aired in episode 23, of course, in this episode and in this part two of this conversation, we're going to talk about what he thinks about the Memphis Grizzlies, his relationship with Brandon Clark, and uh, we also break down the issue of NBA players, social justice, what happened in the bubble. Uh, Mark Spears, for those of you who don't know, is a man of color, writes for The Undefeated at ESPN, which is about race and sports. And so there's no better person to turn to to uh, get insight on those subjects than today's friend of the program, Mark Spears. Let's transition now to some talk about the Memphis Grizzlies. And, yeah. How's my boy Brandon doing, man? <laughs> Love Brandon Clark. Brevin and I say that we're, we're, we're the co-presidents of, of the Brandon Clark fan club, but I think that you should be in the mix as well. Tell us a little bit more about your conversations with Brandon, because I know there's a good story here. Well, you know, I think a lot of, you know, probably the ardent Grizzlies fans know this, that, that, uh, uh, one of my alma maters, my other one for Tennessee folks is LSU. So got my yeah. masters there. We were national champs. In yeah, I, I see that. I see way. that. <laughs> but I got uh, my bachelor from San Jose State and um, had a red shirt basketball year there. And um, I, I, you know, regularly go to games. And I remember seeing this young kid, Brandon Clark. You know, his freshman and sophomore year there, and I was like sitting sitting at close watching games. And I was like, his game, his body, his athleticism translates to the NBA. Now he needs to become a better shooter, but that I, I saw him like block a shot at the top of the square. And the last person I had seen um, do a, uh, the same thing in that gym was Paul George. 
And so I watched him a few times and then got convinced that, you know what, this kid can be an NBA player. Um, could be the first person from San Jose State to make it in the NBA since Tariq Abdul-Wahad in, in 96. And so I met him after a game and we talked and um, super nice guy. And uh, I was like, man, I think you could be an NBA player. I really do. You know, just continue to work on your on your shooting. At that time, his free throw shooting was deplorable. And um, but, you know, just keep working on your shooting. But your, your athleticism, your motor, your, your rebounding ability. He his sophomore year in college at San Jose State. I think he was like the defensive player of the year and first team all league and led, led the league and shop shot blocks and rebounded as a sophomore. It's really, really impressive. And um, so we like exchanged numbers and kept in touch and kind of like mentored him a little bit, you know? And um, so he even like, let me know when he was transferring to Gonzaga after the, the coach at San Jose state got uh, let go. And, um, you know, he, he kind of like would pick my brain about stuff and talked about like agents and everything like that. But, you know, so every time I see him, it's like seeing a nephew or something, you know, and because he, he knows I know when nobody knew who the hell he was. And before the draft, I sat down with him and did an interview, did an interview with him uh, with the undefeated, a video interview. And he said during the interview, he's like, man, you were the first person that told me I could make it to the NBA. And I was like, wow, really? He's like, yeah. I, I mean, like, if you think about it, he was like a three-star guy. Uh, he had to beg San Jose State to give him a scholarship, him and his mother. who his, He has amazing parents. Um, so this wasn't – NBA wasn't on his radar. And so I was in – like, I, I was like, wow, I – I didn't realize that. And then the guy, I'm going to give him a hard time. The guy works with me at the undefeated, messed up the video. So I don't even have to do I had no proof that he said that, man. So you got to ask Brandon about that. But yeah, no, I mean, I remember seeing Brandon as a freshman and a sophomore. And, you know, as much as I love San Jose State, going to Gonzaga was a very smart move for him because he redshirted for a year. He got a lot stronger. He improved his game. He had, was a, working under a great coach in Mark Few. And just Im imagine the guys he was practicing against every day, scrimmaging against. And then so that junior year comes, and it was supposed to be the Rui Hashimura show. In a lot of ways, people were falling in love with him just as much or even more that season. And, um, you know, now he, he is where he is. Yeah, you you love the athleticism, and and to your point, he has a great family background. He is one of the most approachable, greatest people you'd ever want to be around. Although this year in COVID, we're we're not around the players, but when we were around the players, the sweetheart guy off the court, man, just curious, smart, and off the court, he's trying to rip your head off. On the court, he's trying to rip your head off. Yeah, but but you in like, a nice, you got to love that in a player, but right? it, but in a nice way. Yeah, he's he's a tremendous competitor. And what I like about him is not that dirty, he, not dirty, no, but no, he wants no, no. Win. He wants he Far wants to dirty. win. Yeah. High high basketball IQ, knows motor. knows what he can do well and has, you know, he once told me, he said, I want to add to my game, but I don't want to remake my game. I know what I can do. Yeah. And I think it's another thing too, some something that bothers me. I'm I'm gonna be my old I'm be the old guy here. Sometimes the draft combine just makes me nuts. 
because, yeah. well, he didn't measure out this way, that way. It's like, no. Can he play the game? And clearly, yeah. clearly he can play the game. And I remember I was uh, at FedEx Forum hosting a draft party the night that he was drafted by Oklahoma City and then traded for Darius Baisley. And the buzz in the building, because Memphis is a pretty good basketball town. They know who good yeah. players are. And yeah. they were just like, you're not going to believe what a what a what a steal we made in this draft by getting Brandon Clark, and and certainly yeah. he was he was the steal last year. I mean, first team All Rookie and continuing to play well again this year, and uh, you know, so of course he was kind of the under the radar draft pick for the Grizzlies last year, but obviously the headliner was John Morant. Uh, I know that you've been uh, keeping a close eye on him. Where have you seen yeah. him go from rookie year to sophomore year? Oh man. I mean, he's good. He's nice, man. <laughs> I mean, just him. I hate that he missed the beginning of the season. You know, uh, I got to spend some time with him in the bubble. And just a great guy, man. Just uh, I, I was I was. The, the bubble was interesting because that's the last time I got to be around the players like on a regular basis. And um, one night, like some 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 reporters were just listening to some music and I know he's um, was friends with one of them and he just came by and just hung out, just listened to some, some music with us. Um, and that's kind of when I first got to see him with his guard down, I got to know his dad pretty well T and, and did a father's round table with T and Chris Paul's dad, um, window Carter senior. And, um, um, also, Winston Garland, whose son Darius Garland plays for Cleveland, a great roundtable. Grizzlies fans haven't seen it. Please look that up. Um, and so I got to learn a lot about T's back. I mean, uh, Jaws' background and what made him the guy that he is today. But uh, I don't even think he scratched the surface. Um, I see him as a future All Star. I see him as a superstar in this league. I see him as an All Star next year. Um, but he needs Jaron. Jaron needs him. They need to be playing together. And the Grizzlies need to keep just um, adding pieces around those guys to make them, you know, uh, uh, a stronger, stronger team. When you're in a small market, man, you got to do everything probably through trade and draft. You know, you're not going to get a lot of great free agents, but you have two cornerstone pieces there to build around. And with success will come those free agents. Those guys will people will want to come because they want to win. Yeah, yeah. And so I think the potential with Ja and Jaron will be great, but they got to be on the court together. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be ideal, and I, I agree with you. You get a couple of young cornerstone pieces. You may get a, a, a free agent who says, "I want to come to Memphis, even though it is a small market, because I want to play with with Ja." What I noticed too is that Ja's personality is so magnetic. Yeah. Players want to play with him. You want to play yeah. with a guy who has that kind of motor and and that kind of skill. And uh, and you got a, uh, you know, a chip. He has that same chip that Damon Lillard has. Right. Um, Overlooked, you know, underappreciated early on. Under, uh, you know, small school, not you know, mid major. Nobody really knew who he was. Like I had to. I remember one too long ago, but. When ESPN Plus first came out, the main reason I was watching it was so I could watch Ja Morant games. <laughs> like <laughs> Murray State games weren't on national television, but I, you know, I was like, "Whoa, this dude's pretty great," you know. Yeah. And, and so, 
I, I don't see him losing that chip. I, I see him um, continuing to work on his game, being a 25-point-per-game scorer. I do think that's a step that he has to make um, to become a, one of the top scorers in this league, which would help the Grizzlies take that next step as well. But I, I expect nothing but greatness from him. Yeah. Today's friend of the program is Mark Spears of The Undefeated. You can follow him on Twitter at Mark J. Spears. That's Mark with a C for those of you who, well, if you haven't been following him and you follow the NBA, you, you, you've made a horrible mistake because you need to follow Mark Spears. If you know anything about the NBA, you certainly know about him. Um, you talked about the, the father's roundtable. Interesting. Let me let me follow up on that. What was What were some of the commonalities you found in talking to the fathers of guys uh, who are now playing in the NBA that, that you think lead their sons to be good in the game? Well, one of the main things I wanted to do with it, you know, writing for the undefeated where we talk a lot about, you know, race and culture is I think there's this misconception that, you know, none of these black players have fathers in their lives. And if you watch the NBA draft, when they introduce the guys, which I love when they introduce them before the draft, they bring them out, everybody that's in the green room, the majority of them have their fathers next to them. Um, T. Morant, been there the whole time, you know, and you, you saw that emotion that him and Ja had draft night when, you know, T had that beautiful hat on that, that still remember <laughs> that, that, that hat he had on and them two just embracing and crying and, uh, when you see R.J. Barrett crying with his dad and, you know, those, those special moments. And so um, I just kind of wanted to show with Chris Paul's dad and, and, and some of the other fathers, um, one, give each other advice. You know, Chris Paul's dad's been around this for a long time. But it, the interesting thing was they, they, uh, they were saying that they felt like, you know, they weren't respected, that people acted like they didn't exist, like, with all due respect to uh, their wives, the mothers is like people would would overlook them and go talk to their wife, you know, or talk to the mother. Um, and it, it, a lot of it was painful for them because they're, you know, it, a lot of it happened in college recruiting too, where they just like assume that the dad wasn't involved because they're black, you know? And so I really that's something I really enjoy doing. I, I thought it was very powerful and beautiful and um, hopefully people continue to watch it. Maybe I could do it again and, and add some other young dads to it. But um, like Chris Paul's dad is like basically kind of the ringleader of the, you know, you always hear the NBA moms club, you know, and <laughs> I think Shaq's mom used to run it. Remember that? Right. Right. Well, Chris Paul's dad does that for the, for the NBA fathers. So, there's certainly um, a fraternity there as well. And, and I hope some of the positive stories about, you know, black fathers um, are, are told more because I, I think the, the perception, I mean, yeah, there, there are players that fathers weren't around LeBron James, for example, you know, um, but there are, I think the majority of the fathers are around right. and, and, I think that perception needs to be changed. Yeah. With the undefeated, as you mentioned, you do deal with the issues of race and culture. You were here 
uh, and part of the MLK Day celebration in Memphis. For those who weren't able to be part of it, uh, share with us what uh, what involvement you had in, in the MLK Day celebration and, and conversations. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the Grizzlies have um, really, like, um, I don't know, man, blessed me with the opportunity to come to Memphis a couple years, and obviously we couldn't come this year, but I did something virtually with Jaron to be a part of their MLK weekend. And, you know, going to that museum, it never gets old for me. Um, it just, just from the moment you walk in and, and you see what it would have been like to be in a slave ship, like it's crushing. Um, and it's educational and, and it's the must see kind of deal from, you know, I know a lot of people talk about the MLK room part and, standing on the ledge where he was shot, murdered, which certainly is the most powerful part of the museum. But just seeing the, the bus, see that was blown up, seeing uh, what have been like sitting on a, you know, counter where, you know, blacks weren't allowed to be and um, sanitation worker strike, which certainly is directly tied to Memphis and had a, strong impact on Martin Luther King. Um, it, 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 I just love going every year, but the, you know, I get to be on these round table discussions, which are amazing. And, you know, I, I, I'm glad that they're online and people get to see them because just they bring in big time people every year. Um, I think my biggest highlight was last year when I came, I already knew, um, Earl Lloyd's son. Earl Lloyd is the first black, first black man to play in the NBA. I had met, had recently met, no, I had talked to him on the phone a lot, but I had never met Chuck Cooper's son. Chuck Cooper was the first black player drafted in the NBA by the Celtics. And then there was a guy named uh, Nat Sweetwater Clifton, who was the first to have an NBA contract. He played for the Globetrotters and his contract was actually traded to the Knicks. They all debuted in 1950-51 season. First time they had black players in the NBA. Um, Earl Lloyd actually used to live before he passed in Tennessee. Clarkville, ten Crossville, Crossville, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And I went out there and did a story on him. And I'll never forget. Um, but I got a chance to meet the, the kids, their kids all at once for the first time, which was amazing. And, and you could see their fathers in them and the, their, how proud they were to be a part of that family. And so I'm knowing the, the history of the NBA from its, its beginnings, is, is especially the black history, is very, very important to me. So for the Grizzlies to give me that opportunity to meet those three, man, I'll, um, I'll never forget that. Yeah, those weekends are the most important days of the week in, in the Memphis calendar. And I've been fortunate enough to, to host the, the symposium and, and talk to the honorees and to hear their stories and to talk to people like Willie Mays or Jim Brown. Uh, Elgin Baylor was, was one of the honorees a few years ago. And, and to hear the stories and in some ways how far we have come in race relations, but yet there is still so much further to go. Which leads me to this question for you, Mark. What's the best way for NBA players 
regardless of color, whether they are men of color or white men, to promote race relations in a positive way. We had the situation in the bubble where the Milwaukee Bucks said in the wake of the shooting, we're just not going to play today. And there were some who said, you know what, maybe we should just, we shouldn't even go to the bubble because yeah. of the status of race relations in the United States. What's the best way for the players to continue their social activism with regard to race relations? Now, I think they got to remember the strength they have, especially in numbers. You know, um, when they shut down the NBA season for three days, that made, made you know, waves across the world. I mean, it ended up shutting down NHL, the Major League Baseball, Naomi Osaka decided not to play, WNBA as well. Um, uh, and it ended up changing voting. Now you think about it, like they ended up opening up voting polls all over the country that I think that had an impact on the election. You saw what happened in Georgia and, and Georgia actually in Atlanta, they were the first NBA team to open up their arena before, um, the, the, you know, um, before this happened with the NBA players, but I think in a lot of ways, the NBA players don't realize the power they have. And when they forget, they got to think back to the bubble and, and the impact they ended up having, not only on the election, but in other things that they were trying to do, like they constantly talked about social justice. They brought education to what happened to Breonna Taylor, to Jacob Blake, um, to George Floyd, to so many other people um, that if it wasn't for the bubble, maybe people wouldn't have been educated about it. Like uh, having Black Lives Matter on the floor, man, I, I don't know how I can explain how much that meant to me to see that. Seeing white players wear Black Lives Matter on the black back of their jersey, seeing them wear ally on the back of their jersey, that, that like almost it makes me emotional think about it you know you know um because in order for us as a country and a world to overcome racism it's it can't be just black people screaming about it like we need our white brothers and sisters we need our brown brothers and sisters we need everybody you know um so somebody says you know we're talking about asian hate right now like that's wrong. And I can't just stand up and speak when it's something that's related to black people. I need to speak when it's about all people. Like no hate should be tolerated. No racism should be tolerated. No sexism should be tolerated. And um, I, I, I think that if we're going to conquer this, we got to conquer this as one or it's just, it's ne I mean, it's never going to die, you know? And so that's what, I, I think that players going to the bubble gave them a platform that they couldn't have had on their own. I mean, unless they were a superstar, obviously if LeBron James pushes a tweet out or John Morant pushes a tweet out, yeah, it'll have impact. But for George Hill to basically spark a three-day revolution in the NBA, like he couldn't have did that outside the bubble. You know what I mean? Like, so um it gave every nba player a voice 
whether they were a superstar or the last guy on the bench, that that was outstanding. Some of the reserve players did some of the greatest things. And so I, th- I think that the NBA players and all pro athletes need to realize the strength that they do have in numbers, you know, and, really, and hopefully though they won't forget that. It really does take all of us, regardless yeah. of your racial background, your ethnic background, your political background. If we're ever going to get to where we need to be and want to be, it's, yeah. it's, it's just going to take everybody. Yeah. And, and calling people out, you know, like, yo, that's, that's not cool, man. That's not right. You need, check people who everybody has somebody in their circle. Right. You know, that's your friend. And you, you know, you give them a pass cause they're your friend. No, man, you need to, I, I, I got a lot of calls from after George Floyd passed from, from friends of mine that were white who were really concerned and really upset. And, you know, at first I was like, I mean, I'm glad you're on board now, but this has been happening for hundreds of years, you know, um, but what I did say is like that fire that you feel now, that that anger that you feel now, like don't let it be seasonal. Let it be to, to you take your last breath. Like don't let that go away. Like this, this shouldn't be tolerated in any form for anybody. And um, I, I hope they remember, remember that. And that's something that, our nation learned last year is like, like this, look, there's a lot of bad apples. We can't solve everybody, but the majority of us want better, uh, a, a better, fair world. Um, then I think uh, love often will overtake hate. Indeed. Indeed. Mark, I have so thoroughly enjoyed this visit. I really, really appreciate the time and, um, what what you got cooking for the undefeated that we can uh, direct people to uh, take a look at and take a read of? Um, I have a story that just came out on uh, Allison Feaster. She's a uh, vice president with the Celtics. Yeah, you remember she back in '96. She was a Harvard superstar, scoring 27 points a game, and she knocked off number one Stanford and went on to the WNBA and play overseas. But you know, there's not a lot of black women or women that are in executive roles uh, with NBA teams. And she's a vice president with the Celtics now. So it's just a Q and a of her story and um, you know, how she was able to get into that position, that history making position. So um, I just went out on undefeated as we're about to tape and uh, hopefully people can check it out. All right. Mark, thank you again so much for the time. And I can't wait for the pandemic to be over so uh, we can actually chat face to face. Yeah. Go Gunners too, man. I, I know Memphis folks may not understand what that means, but. Well, I'll tell you what, it, when, when next time you come to Memphis, the brass door is the official arsenal spot. Okay. So, so you, you are welcome at the brass door anytime uh, to cheer on arsenal. And I'd actually to go to the brass door at a, at a healthy time, man. All right. We'll and see I need to go fishing in Memphis too. I, All right. I mean, I need, need all that. You are welcome anytime. All right, brother. I realize that this uh, episode has gone on uh, considerably longer than normal, but uh, Mark had so much good stuff to say, and I didn't want to hold it over into a, a, a third episode. So uh, we're going to be a little long today, but uh, hope you uh, enjoyed the conversation. Hope you found it uh, meaningful and enjoyable. 
Well, if there was one thing you could do, one bold action you could take, one inspired choice you could make, one investment guaranteed to transform Memphis, now would you do it? If that answer is yes, here's your chance. The Grizzlies Foundation is looking for Memphians to be the difference in a child's life by becoming a volunteer mentor. There are 800 youth in Memphis waiting for your decision today. So don't delay. Join the movement. Become a mentor at grizzliesfoundation.org. This message is brought to you through the generous support of Garner Framing Company, serving Memphis for 70 years and a proud supporter of the Memphis Grizzlies Foundation. They're doing their framing consultations by appointment at 901-685-7796. Say hello to Chris Garner when you go and tell him that uh, you heard about Garner Framing Company on the Grizz Weekly Grind. This has been Episode 24 of the Grizz Weekly Grind. Our thanks to Mark J. Spears for being our friend of the program. hope that you enjoyed today's show. Got some more good stuff coming up in episode 25 as the Grizzlies wrap up their road trip in Houston and then come back for a couple of games. So we'll cover that in episode 25 of the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Branica. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.